You're listening to a sermon preached at Chao English Ministry in Sydney. We believe that God speaks through His Word, the Bible. We pray that as you listen, you will hear God's voice and be moved to worship His Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we pray that as we look at these parables of your kingdom, that we might understand more about your kingdom and what will happen with it. Father, help us to understand how precious your kingdom should be to us. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Uh, Before COVID, uh, before COVID, I was looking at getting a second-hand car for my wife, Jane. Her previous car had lots of issues. Uh, so I went searching all over Sydney, and I found this car that we wanted to buy. And I was talking with a dealer. And this dealer, he was raving on, as dealers do, about how fantastic this vehicle was, the excellent condition it was in, the low kilometers, all these great features of the car. But as he kept talking, I just had this one question burning in my mind. The question was, brother, if this car is so good, why did that guy sell it? If this car is so good, then why did the previous owner get rid of it? If it's such a great car, like you say it is, then why did the previous owner sell it? That's a fair question, don't you think? I wonder if you've ever asked that. I mean, uh, often people reject something because there's something wrong with that item. There's something wrong with it, or there's a problem with it. That's why a lot of people reject things. I learned a similar lesson the other week. Earlier, uh, my friends and I, uh, we were eating some mango pancakes, and that's something we love doing. We love mango pancakes. Uh, But one of them eats it, and his face went funny, and he's like, I don't like it. I want to chuck it out. Uh, Now, I'm a person who dislikes throwing food out, and so I said to him, uh, as I often do, I said, all right, give it to me. Give it to me, I'll eat it. You know, let's not waste precious food. So I took a big bite out of it, and straight away, I got why my friend didn't want to eat it. You see, the cream was off inside this pudding. It was disgusting. When people reject something, it's often for a reason. And so, wise people, smart people, clever people, will think carefully before we hop in and drive away. Wise people will think carefully before taking a big bite. But you don't want to take it too far. Because sometimes, if you follow the rule that you never take what someone else is rejecting, then you miss out on some really good stuff. Shout out to all my Facebook marketplace fiends. I know you're out there. It's like that. One man's trash is another man's Treasure, you know, so it's not really a consistent rule. So with that car, I'll have you know, it actually turned out to be a very excellent, reliable car. It's just that the previous owner had more kids, so he needed to buy a seven-seater. That's why he got rid of his car. And so we bought the car that this man rejected. And so far, we're very pleased with it. The wife likes it. Even little Karis likes it. It works for us. It's, It's an excellent car. And friends, as we've looked through these last few chapters of Matthew's Gospel, We've seen how most people are rejecting Jesus, right? We've seen that so far. They don't want to be his followers. They don't want to be his disciples. What have we seen? The religious leaders, uh, they're totally opposed to Jesus. They want nothing to do with him. The crowds, the crowds, well, uh, they're happy to see Jesus do a miracle, but they don't want to repent. 
They don't want to change their life around. They don't want to turn everything around and follow Jesus. What we're seeing in Matthew's gospel so far is only a few people are becoming actual followers, actual disciples. And so it's natural to ask the question, is there something wrong with Jesus? Like, is that why everyone's rejecting him? Is there something wrong with this kingdom of heaven that he's proclaiming? Is there some good reason why everyone seems to be rejecting Jesus and his message? And if there is, if there is something wrong, obviously, we would be wise to reject Jesus too. But last week, as we started this next teaching section in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, this section of parables, if you like, parables in Matthew's Gospel, last week, you might remember, we saw the first parable, the parable of the sower. And we saw uh, in that parable that there's actually nothing wrong with the message of Jesus. Do you remember? It was pictured to us as a seed. That was in the parable. It was pictured to us as a seed. There's nothing wrong with the seed. The seed is capable of producing fruit in the right conditions. The problem's not the seed. We saw last week the problem's actually the kind of soil that the seed lands in. That's what we saw in the parable last week. Some people are hard-hearted like a path, and the seed, it won't go in. Some other people are shallow, like rocky soil. The seed can't take root. Some other people, they reject the message of Jesus because they don't have space. They're like weedy soil. The seed gets choked out. But if you remember, the point of that parable is this. Yes, lots of people are rejecting the message about Jesus, but it's not because there's something wrong with the message. No, no, it's because they are not fertile ground. They are not the right kind of soil. That's what we saw last week. Well, friends, today we're looking together at six more parables. Six more parables. You might have been following along in the reading and you might have picked them out, but six more parables. And this time, for each of the six parables, Jesus tells us that they're all about the kingdom of heaven. So there's six different parables, but pretty much they're talking about the same thing. It's all about the kingdom of heaven and still in the background. So the context, the background of this is the fact that so many people are rejecting this kingdom. Some people are rejecting Jesus and his message. And so here in our passage together, if you have your Bible open, you can see it there. But just to give you some kind of context and structure, if you can see it there, there are actually six parables, but they're in two sets of three parables. There are two sets of three parables. The first three parables go together. Let's get in there. Parable number one, uh, it's another farming story. We see that a man sows good wheat seed into his field, but then an enemy sows weeds into the field. It's probably the weed that we now know as Darnell. Darnell, if you've done some gardening, you know what that is. Darnell is a weed that initially, you can't tell any difference between it and wheat. Darnell and wheat looks the same. Darnell and wheat, initially, indistinguishable. You can't tell them apart. The farmer's servants, in the first uh, parable, they want to know what to do. So they ask the master, and he says, leave it alone. Leave it alone until harvest time. So, in other words, let the wheat and the darnel, the fake wheat, the weed, let them grow together, and there's apparently no difference between them, visibly, but, the master says, at harvest time, they're going to head off to two very different fates. Look with me in your Bibles at Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 to 30. Chapter 13, verse 24 to 30. 
Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. All right. Interesting story. Interesting. But if you're honest, it's not entirely clear what this means on its own. Is it? It's not really clear what this parable is on about. Certainly, the disciples don't get it. Uh, They don't know what Jesus is talking about. But before they come to Jesus and ask for an explanation, he has another parable, parable number two. This time, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's like a mustard seed. It starts off very, very small, but then it grows into a very big plant. Look with me there, chapter 13, verse 31 and 32. Verse 31 and 32. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. All right. Interesting. It's still not exactly clear what Jesus means, right? Like somehow the kingdom of heaven is small, like a tiny seed, and in some way, somehow, it's going to grow, kind of like how a seed grows into a tree, something like that, maybe, exactly what it's saying. It's still unclear. Parable number three. The next parable is similar again. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. Yeast. He says you can have just a small amount of yeast, but it can transform a large amount of dough. Look with me there at verse 33. This is parable number three. Verse 33. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. All right. Interesting, right? Again, what does it mean? We're not really sure. It's not black and white clear. Somehow, uh, God's kingdom is small, but then somehow it's going to have a big influence, a big impact. Now, just before we get to the explanation of the parables, Matthew reminds us again that Jesus is actually only speaking to the crowds in parables. Parables only. That's all they get. The crowds, the people that are there for the show, they they get the parable and nothing else. They don't get an explanation. The parable is all they get. Just like the psalmists of old, Jesus is revealing ancient secrets in Parables, and for the crowds, only in parables. Look with me there, verse 34 and 35. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowds in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. All right. Intermission, right? The halftime break. What have we got so far? We've got three down, three to go. We've seen three parables, 
And I'll give you a very quick summary of what we've seen. This is just observation from the text, right? Somehow, the kingdom of heaven is uh, like a field that's filled with both wheat and darnel. Somehow, the kingdom of God is like a small seed that grows into a gigantic tree. Somehow, thirdly, the kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast that can transform a large amount of dough. For the crowds, that's all they get. That's all they get. Those parables, no explanation. Again, uh, as readers of Matthew's gospel today, we we don't know what the crowds did with this. Uh, We don't know what they did with these three kind of random parables. They probably scratched their heads and warned their children about the danger of vaping or something like that. We don't know. We don't know what they did. They're like, you know what, kids don't do drugs. We don't know what what the crowds did. We're not told. But we do know what the disciples did. They came to Jesus and they said, please explain. We want to know what you're talking about. Please explain those parables. Look with me there at verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Now, Jesus starts off by giving a kind of a glossary of terms. That's kind of how he starts. He identifies features of the weed story with features in God's kingdom. So look with me there at verse 37 to 39. Verse 37 to 39. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Okay. So with all these things in place, Jesus now talks about what's going to happen at the end of the age. He talks about what's going to happen at the end of time. The people in God's kingdom and the people who are not in God's kingdom, those who are from the evil one, verse 38, they together are here in this world. God's people and God's enemies. They're here in this world. In other words, Jesus is trying to say, you can't tell much difference between them. That's what he's saying. You can't tell much difference between them. Life for God's people and those who are not, life for them, for both groups, is much the same. But, but, at the end of the age, they will go to two very different fates. Look with me at verse 40 to 43. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. That's the meaning, that's the interpretation of the first parable, the parable of the weeds in the field. The meaning, it's not easy to tell in this world who is in God's kingdom and who isn't. Life is very much the same for you whether you're a Christian or not. Life looks very much the same from the outside. The wheat and the darnel, they grow together. It doesn't seem to make much difference whether you're a Christian or not. But Jesus is saying it's not going to be like that forever. That's his point. A day is coming where there will be a very clear separation 
an eternal separation. On that day, Jesus says, it's going to be perfectly clear who is in God's kingdom. And on that day, you don't want to be Darnell. On that day, you don't want to be outside of God's kingdom. Now, Matthew doesn't uh, give us an explanation for the other two parables, the mustard seed and the yeast, but in light of this explanation, I reckon we can make an educated guess. How is God's kingdom small like a mustard seed? Uh, In what way does it start small but grow into a tree? Well, I guess it's small here on earth in the sense that it doesn't seem to make much difference whether you're a Christian or not. The kingdom of heaven, it's not all that visible yet. Just like a tiny seed, Life is much the same, whether you're a Christian believer or not. But the day will come when the kingdom will be like a massive tree. In other words, thoroughly visible. You can't miss it. It's unmistakable that day is coming. On judgment day, when the eternal separation happens, the kingdom will be of massive importance, massive significance. That's the mustard seed. And then there's the yeast. How is God's kingdom like yeast? Well, I think in light of that first interpretation, it's similar yet again, isn't it? God's kingdom, it seems small at the moment. It seems insignificant at the moment. It doesn't seem to make much difference at the moment. But the day will come when the whole batch of dough will be transformed. On judgment day, it'll be perfectly, perfectly clear that the kingdom of heaven, it changes everything, everything. It may seem small now, but there is coming a day where it will have eternal impact. It will dictate where you spend the rest of forever. There are some things in life There are some things in life that are like this. At first glance, they don't look like very much. At first glance, they don't look very significant. But as you wait and watch, they turn out to be really, really important. For example, when the first electronic calculator was invented, the company that made the first electronic calculator, they said that they could find no practical uses for it. Shout out all mathematics people up in here. No practical uses for the electronic calculator. Now we all carry one on our iPhones. Uh, When the television was first invented, the New York Times wrote this. It would never appeal to the average family. That's what they thought. It would never appeal to the average family. Television, right? When the Wright brothers advertised their first airplane flight, five people showed up to watch. Sometimes, things which don't seem like much, can actually turn out to be very, very significant and very important. And friends, that's exactly what Jesus is saying here. That's what Jesus is saying. It's like that with the kingdom of heaven. It might not seem like much here and now. The weeds and the wheat might be growing together in the same field. It might be small and weak now, kind of like a mustard seed or like a bit of yeast. And on that basis, many people do reject it. They see that, and that's all they see, that's all they know, and so they reject it. But Jesus is saying through these parables, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived and follow that wrong example. Don't reject God's kingdom just because other people are rejecting it. 
Because a day will come when it will be made very clear. The day will come when the wheat and the darnel will be separated. The wheat and the wheat will be separated. The seed, the day will come when it will be a tree. The little bit of yeast, the day will come, and that's going to change everything. Friends, that's what Jesus is saying with these first three parables. Can you see what, can you see what his point is? It's a bit more clear to us now when he gives an explanation. And having said that, we now come to the second lot, the second batch, the next three parables. Again, these second lots of three parables, they go together with just one explanation. The first parable says that God's kingdom is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man finds it, he sees how valuable it is, but the problem is he doesn't own the field, and therefore the treasure doesn't belong to him. And so what he does in this parable, he happily gives up everything he has to buy the field so that he can get his hands on the treasure. Look with me there at verse 44. Verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. That's parable number four. Parable number five. The next parable, similar yet again. This time, God's kingdom is compared to a precious pearl. A pearl. A man sees the value of it, and again, he's willing to give up everything just to get it. Look with me at verse 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. What do you think these parables are saying, this second batch? Well, I think four and five, I think they're saying the same thing, aren't they? They both say that God's kingdom is very, very valuable, very, very precious. It, it, Jesus is showing us through parable four and five that God's kingdom is very much worth being part of. In fact, if we only knew how valuable it was, how it really was, if only we knew how valuable it was to be in God's kingdom, we would gladly give up everything just to be a part of it. No sacrifice will be too great. We would joyfully, gladly, willingly give up anything and everything just so that we could get that pearl of great price, so we can get the treasure in the field. And now in this last parable, Jesus shows us why the kingdom is so, so valuable. This time, it's a fishing story. I like fishing. You like fishing, right? It's a fishing story. In the last parable, fishermen catch some fish, and they divide them up, and they send them off to the different fates. Look with me there at verse 47 and 48. Verse 47 and 48. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. And now Jesus gives an explanation of that. I take it that he's actually giving the explanation in private with his disciples. Uh, although Matthew doesn't give us all these details, that's my guess. Uh, Jesus explains that this one is actually about the end of the age. And at the end of the age, the people who are inside God's kingdom, they will be eternally separated to those who are outside of God's kingdom. It's a similar point to the parable of the wheat and the darnel. Look with me there at verse 49 and 50. Verse 49 and 50. This is how it will be at the end of the age. 
The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, can you see why the kingdom is so valuable? Can you see why the kingdom of heaven is worth joyfully giving up everything for? Can you see why it's such a treasure? Can you see why this kingdom is such a precious pearl? God's kingdom, it may not seem like much in this age. It may not seem to make that much of a difference if you're a Christian or not in this age. It might seem like we're all like fish swimming in the same lake together, but the truth is, Jesus is saying, it actually makes an eternal difference. An eternal difference. If you were in Jesus' kingdom, then you look forward to being with him. What does he say? He says, shining like the sun in the kingdom of your father. That's what Jesus says. That's what you'll be like. But if you're outside Jesus' kingdom, then Jesus says you'll be cast away into this blazing furnace that Jesus describes. Friends, there's nothing more precious. There's nothing more precious. If only we could grasp how valuable it really is. If only we could see with the eyes of eternity, we would gladly, gladly give up anything and everything just to be a part of God's kingdom. Jesus checks with his disciples to make sure that they've understood everything, to see if they've registered what he's just been saying, and they say yes. And then he talks about the teachers of the law, that is the people who understand and teach God's Old Testament. He says, if a person like that understands this stuff about God's kingdom, then they've got two treasures. They're doubly blessed. If they understand this, the Pharisees teach the law, then they have two treasures, the treasure of understanding the Old Testament and now the treasure of seeing that fulfillment in the New Testament. Look with me at verse 51 and 52. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, therefore... Every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. All right, that's the passage. Can you see what's here? Can you see what we've covered in today's passage? Six parables, six parables. And just to give you the structure again, remember on either side of the six, you've got the parable of the weeds and you've got the parable of the fish and the other four are in between. Uh, The structure of this is actually very fascinating. Uh, It shows us, because the first one is about weeds, and the second one, the last one, is about the fish, it shows us that there will be this, this eternal separation at the end of the age. And those two parables are on the either ends. And then in the middle, you've got two pairs of parables, I think. The first pair say that the kingdom seem small, but it's going to prove to be massively important. The second pair, uh, that's four and five, That's the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast, the second pair of the parables in the middle. It says that this kingdom is incredibly precious, the parables of the treasure in the field and also the pearl. All right, what have we got so far? I want to clarify this. What have we got so far covering the parables? Small, but will be massive. Incredibly precious. And why? Because of this eternal separation happening at the end of the age. Can you see how it works? Can you see how it's structured? There's a logical structure to these parables. Friends, this was true in Jesus' day. And what he said, and what's been recorded for us, it's still true today. 
Most people reject Jesus. Most people are not like Chloe and Minnie and Nate and Andrew. They reject Jesus. Most people are not interested in the things of Jesus. Yeah, they might like Easter long weekend, but what's it about? Yeah, they might celebrate Christmas, what's it about? Most people in this world, they're just not interested. Most people refuse to trust in Jesus as their savior and king. And from these parables, you can see something of why that is. You can see something of why it's like that. It's because it doesn't seem to make much difference now, but friends, here's Jesus' point. He's saying, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled because there is nothing wrong with this kingdom. The mustard seed, it will become a tree. The yeast, it will transform the whole batch of dough. The day will come when there will be an eternal separation. And on that day, you will want nothing more than to be in God's kingdom. Nothing, nothing could be more precious than this kingdom that Jesus talks about. Richard, um, Richard Wurmbrandt, uh, he was a pastor in Romania, and in the year 1948, he was put in jail uh, for his beliefs, for him being a Christian. And uh, this pastor, Richard Wurmbrandt, he tells his story in a book called Tortured for Christ. And in that book, he talks about some of the people who were converted through him, people who he convinced to trust in Jesus and follow Jesus. They were also put in jail with him, and just like him, they also suffered terribly. They were tortured, and many of them were executed. But have a listen to this story that he tells in this book, and I quote, I myself was later in prison together with souls whom God had helped me to win for Christ. I was in the same cell with one man who had left behind six children and who was now in prison for his Christian faith. His wife and children were starving. He might never see them again. I asked him, have you any resentment against me that I brought you to Christ and because of this, your family is in such misery? He said, he said, I have no words to express my thankfulness that you have brought me to the wonderful Savior. I would never have it any other way. Friends, that's a big call, isn't it? In jail for being a Christian, Outside, six children and a wife starving. He himself may be facing torture and execution, and yet what does he say? No words to express my thankfulness. I would never have it any other way. That's a massive call, isn't it? But he's right. He's right, isn't he? He's right. And if you know the pearl of great price, if you know the treasure in the field, if you know of this tree, if you know of this, then you believe what that man believes. We know that he is right. These parables, they tell us that. It is worth giving up everything to have Jesus as your king. Friends, I'll be honest with you. We might probably, we might not have to face something so severe as prison or torture or execution, but we've got to be clear on this. 
God's kingdom is more precious than anything else, than everything else. God's kingdom is way more precious than anything on this earth that you might have. And as a Christian, you might end up on this earth with nothing. All you might have is Jesus, but is he not enough? If you have Jesus as your king, you might have to make massive sacrifices. Yeah, you might have to think about who you date, who you marry. Yeah, you might have to think about what kind of jobs you'll take and what kind of jobs you won't take. Yeah, you might have to think about how you raise your kids. Yeah, if you're a follower of Jesus, you might think about how you spend your weekends and holidays and how you spend your money and your time and your energy and your resources. There are massive sacrifices to following Jesus. But if you have Jesus, then know this. It won't be long. It won't be long till we see that great tree. It won't be long till we see that great transformation. It won't be long till you see the pearl of great price. It won't be long till you see the treasure in the field. It won't be long before you see that eternal separation. And on that day, brothers and sisters, it will be way more than worth it. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your kingdom, which though it may seem small now, will make all the difference in eternity. Our Father, we praise you that you will justly judge. And our Father, we praise you that through the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven and accepted as your precious and treasured people. Lord, please help us, every single one of us, to trust in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, please help us to know how incredibly, how intensely precious is this message about the Lord Jesus Christ, this message about the kingdom of heaven. Father, we pray that we might joyfully be willing to make any sacrifice to have Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.